The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast series created by Mercedes Lackey and Steve Lippin. The Luck of the Devil by Steve Libby Read by Adam Higgins The Georgia sun burned red in Klaus Cotton's dreams, wiping out their memory as he awoke, finishing a sentence he started in the dream. In the waking world, the consonants slurred until even he couldn't understand what he was saying. But it had something to do with spiders. Cool arms encircled him, pulling him against a soft form that murmured in a lilting voice. He patted a hand, and another encircled him protectively. Two more hands played across his stomach. All four hands belonged to his lover, the Indian woman who had discarded her given name long ago for the appellation Shakti. Her dark skin and hair glowed like a black hole against the white sheet of his bed. Teasing her, he'd offered a bet. If he could flip four coins and come up with all tails, she'd spend the night again. She had laughed and agreed, knowing what the outcome would be. Klaus was feeling lucky that night. Four tails came up in his palm, and he carried her to the bedroom. Shakti, of course, knew not to bet with Klaus unless she was prepared to lose. It had occurred to him several times how lucky he was to have met her, and this worried him. Was it his amazing, remarkable, and metahuman luck that arranged companionship for him? Or was it merely their introduction that had been lucky, and the rest of it genuine affection? He had flipped the coins to keep his luck in her mind, to test her love for him with constant reminders of how reality bent over backwards to please him. Thus far, she hadn't second-guessed herself. He blinked at the sunlight in his eyes. A day's growth of stubble called for a razor. His thick black hair grew fast and dense, and itchy, too. He resolved to get up this morning and cash his paycheck. Accomplish one thing a day, that was his motto. Everything else will fall into place. And it always worked for him. Then again, he'd always had the devil's luck. Klaus reached over Shakti's shoulder, where a pack of cards rested on the nightstand. He fished the jokers out of the deck. Their devil faces leered at him with skin as scarlet as his own, smirking mirror images, save for the horns. Morning, boys. Ready to tell my fortune? He shuffled the deck once without the jokers, once with them inserted into the middle of the deck. Squirming against Shakti to make a space on the bed, He dealt out a hand of Las Vegas-style solitaire. He played fast, flipping the top card over, moving aces above, putting the four of hearts under the five of clubs, working through the piles on the bed before touching the rest of the deck. When he did reach for the remaining cards, dealing three at a time, he had no trouble finding a home for the face-up card, and then the card beneath, and then the third. In two minutes, he worked through the whole deck, his hands a practiced blur. Las Vegas Solitaire offered no breaks. If you couldn't use a card from the deck at the moment it was revealed, it was lost to you forever. He placed the King of Diamonds on the diamond stack, making a row of four kings and nothing remaining. The last two cards in his hands were the Jokers, with smiles that now seemed congratulatory. Thank you, gentlemen. 
Nice to know everything's going my way. Klaus showered and put on his usual black suit, white Oxford, and slim black tie. He'd pulled strings to convince the Echo tailors to custom sew a half dozen suits instead of the usual stiff-collar Echo uniforms whose Nehru implications and shoulder epaulets made him feel like a comic book villain. His more than passing resemblance to a pop culture Satan didn't help either. If he'd been cursed with a tail or horns, the fundamentalist would have run him out of town. Instead, he could take the moniker Handsome Devil with a wink and a nod and get through most situations without offending someone's Christian morals. Tugging at the tie in front of the bathroom mirror, he winked at his reflection. And you are one handsome devil, Klaus, old boy. He peered into the bedroom. Discarded clothes dappled the floor. Shakti, baby. I'm rolling out of here to cash my paycheck. I'll bring you back some coffee, yeah? She groaned and buried her head in the pillows. Take your time, he said, making a pistol with his fingers and shooting her with his esteem. Even in disarray, arms splayed like a giant insect, she was beautiful. Life is good, he congratulated himself, spinning his motorcycle keys on his finger as he left the apartment and his echo sidearm behind. The NBA All-Star Game had snarled up the highways with serpentine lines of cars baking in the sun. His bank was only a few exits away in the loop, a stone's throw from the off-ramp. In Atlanta terms, this was right next door. Nobody walked in this city. Fortunately for Handsome Devil, and for the rest of Echo, Tesla had wrested emergency licensing for all Echo vehicles thus ensuring those metas without wings, jetpacks, chariots, or what have you, could actually arrive at the scene of a crime while it was in progress. Even Devil's Bike had a chipper little siren and flasher welded to the handlebars. He didn't hesitate a moment, but flipped the switch. Coming through, folks! Had he been riding a Harley, the roar of the motor would have drowned out his jaunty warning, but the Echo vehicles all ran on certified Echo broadcaster receivers and batteries. It whined like a hedge trimmer, but he didn't care. The memory of Shakti sprawled out in his bed cheered him afresh. White teeth glowed in an absurd smile on his red face as he veered onto the shoulder and revved his engine. Broken glass crunched under the puncture-resistant tires. Another thoughtful Echo modification. Atlanta's highways were not the cleanest he'd seen. The heads and shoulders of the motorist he passed told him the story. Everyone had somewhere to be on this momentous and impromptu local holiday. Consequently, no one was going anywhere soon. The jam stretched for miles around I-285, the perimeter, hemming the city in with a wall of overheating metal and fiberglass and fraying tempers. And if they ever did arrive at the barbecue or the pool party, would they be capable of having fun? Or would they just flop down in a sticky lawn chair and wonder how Atlanta became so overcrowded? We should transfer to another city. Paris. The thought hit him like a sugar rush. Yeah. Cobblestone streets, scooters, and sophisticated, snobby Parisians. He imagined clobbering some arrogant French meta-human crook with a baguette 
Sacrebleu, the crook exclaimed in a comic book speech balloon. Formidable, he mouthed, making himself grim wider. He waved at some bored kids whose faces lit up as a real live meta passed them, the first they'd seen in weeks, probably, knowing how many damn metas had congregated in Atlanta around Echo. Klaus navigated around tire shreds and discarded shoes. Who loses shoes? He imagined sports cars with unintended bare feet sticking out the window. Motorists clogged the exit ramp, hoping to escape the unmoving highway, but only bringing the traffic jam with them. He used the horn to wedge between two cars, bump over the separator, and into the bank parking lot. This particular branch had been built during America's brief flirtation with space-age architecture. Now it just looked like a cheap remnant of a forgotten world's fair. A white concrete cylinder that had been shoved on top of some supports and wrapped with annoying indirect spiral ramps. Echo should buy this place and make it into a lab, he thought, or a lounge for Mach 1s. It's ridiculous, just the way Alex likes it. He shut off the siren in the parking lot under the pillars. We found a parking space right next to the building. He fished his wallet out as he circled around the building on the ramp. The paycheck wasn't in it. That's odd, he said. Oddly bad luck. If today was one of his intermittent bad days, he should abandon the chopper, call for a taxi to take him home at once. When his luck was good, it was reality-defying good. When it was bad, it could turn lethal. Stay cool, my man. He slipped a questioning hand into each pocket of the suit, both outside pockets and the inside breast pocket. Then he checked his trousers, front pockets, back pockets, and the pocket where he kept his wallet. Aha. He reached the glass door as he unfolded the paycheck. He'd shoved it in his back pocket without paying attention. In fact, he was chronically disorganized, but it never seemed to make a difference. He was bound to stumble across whatever he was searching for at the time he needed it. He gave the check a few good snaps to eliminate the crease. A wave of dry, frigid air hit him when he entered the bank. As usual, Georgians air-conditioned their buildings to the point that they would bring sweaters to work. Klaus had never understood it. If it's 90 degrees and humid outdoors, why freeze your sweat the moment you go inside? Everyone else likes 72 degrees, Southerners. The ATM faced the front door, a recent attempt to redirect simple banking away from tellers who required salaries and benefits. He fumbled for a pen, found none, but spotted one on a chain next to the machine. No one was using it. Very good, sir, he said with a chortle. In and out, back to Shakti. Lie in bed for half their day off, then get a little food, take a walk back to bed. It was the break he needed. A pile of invitations to all-star game celebrations included a contest he couldn't recall entering to share a box seat with Michael Jordan lay ignored on his kitchen table. He hummed a nameless melody as he wrote his account number on a fresh deposit envelope. Usually, long numbers escaped him, but he'd been lucky enough to get one that consisted of his birth date, his current house number, and the year he'd lost his virginity. Very easy to remember. Other than his humming and the scratch of the lousy bank pen, silence enveloped him. The whir of the machine as it accepted his card stuck out so much that he felt compelled to see if anyone else was using the bank at all.
He hadn't given the room so much as a look, but in his peripheral vision, he registered people. Short people. Or rather, kneeling people. A few dozen bank patrons knelt on the floor with their hands on their heads. Six men with ski masks and pistols stared at him with amazement that was obvious even with their faces concealed. One of them cocked a gun and aimed at Klaus. The metal sound echoed in the circular room. Down! The man lacked a southern drawl. Klaus glanced at the ATM. It waited for his pin number. Twenty seconds without it and his card would be swallowed by the machine. He shifted his attention to the keypad and tapped in the code. Get down, the man insisted. Just a sec, Klaus said. The machine digested his number and thought for a moment, then offered him a screen full of choices. The deposit button had seen a lot of use. He had to press it three times before it took. He said get down, another robber hollered. The patrons quailed at the man's ferocity. His voice leapt in pitch like an insane fish on a hook. Klaus keyed in his deposit amount, a tasty four grand after taxes. Echo paid him more money than he'd ever seen, with the exception of the summer he'd spent getting kicked out of Vegas and Reno. Dude, he's red, one of the goons cautioned, the robber pointing the pistol. Is he a mutant? I am most definitely not a mutant, Klaus said, almost pressing no on the keypad. Damn it, you're distracting me. You what? Shoot that fool! The shouter swung his pistol from a teller's head and squeezed off a shot at Handsome Devil. The bullet lodged in the plastic wall of the ATM. Devil glanced at the bullet hole, then pressed the Back to Main Menu button. Get on your knees, or the next one goes in your head! The man advanced on Klaus. Good luck with that, he said, pressing the option for Quick Cash. Convenience counts, he mused. The man cursed and opened fire. Bullets flashed past Devil, some coming close enough to excite the nano-weave to bunch up in anticipation of an impact. The man pulled the trigger convulsively, even though he'd run out of bullets. God damn, he said. He turned to his compatriots. What are you waiting for? Shoot him! A volley of bullets ripped towards him. Klaus set his jaw and punched the buttons for $80 cash back. Enough to see him through the weekend, unless they went out to eat. A bullet shattered the keypad after he pressed yes to confirm the command. The ATM spit out his card, 420s, then blanked out forever. Bullets slammed into the wall behind him, spewing a cloud of concrete dust. The bank patron screamed in alarm. Bullet holes formed a man-shaped halo in the wall. One bullet that had passed under his arm left a heart-shaped hole in the silhouette's chest. To a chorus of clicking from empty pistols, Handsome Devil faced the room and cracked his knuckles. All right, let's get this over with. The robbers fumbled with ammo clips in their pockets. Handsome Devil stepped over patrons, pressed to the floor in fear. He reached the robber-in-chief just as the man had reloaded his gun. The barrel quivered in the robber's hands. Before he could pull the trigger, Klaus reached out and snapped the safety back on. The trigger resisted the man's finger. The robber's eyes went wide with surprise. His mouth opened and he worked at a syllable. His thumb stretched out to flick the safety off. Devil flipped it back on. Cut it out, the robber said in a plaintive voice. He turned the safety off, but couldn't shoot before Devil set it back on. He growled and fended Devil's fingers off with his thumb, getting the safety off a final time. Ha! He crowed in triumph. 
handsome devil smashed his face with a red fist, then caught the crumpled man and spun him around as a shield against the other robbers who had finished reloading. Bullets slammed into the man's back. Blood gushed from his mouth. Not on the suit, pal, Devil said. He threw the man's body into another robber. Devil had the strength of five normal men. Another stroke of luck. So the dying man struck with enough force to crack the living man's ribs. The four remaining robbers trained their guns on him to fire. As lucky as he was, he didn't want to face another salvo unprotected. So he dashed towards the teller window made of one-inch thick bulletproof glass. Stray bullets cracked the glass, spiderwebbing the window and weakening it. Devil leapt at it with arms across his face. Weakened, it shattered and allowed him through, shards tugging at the instantly hard nano-weave fabric. He pitched forward onto his face, but a beanbag cushioned his fall. His weight burst the seams, spraying styrofoam peanuts across the floor. A beanbag? A festive card tied to it with a ribbon congratulated a teller named Rhoda on her birthday. Four armed thugs didn't pose a great threat to him, not on a good day, but he'd been scolded for hot-dogging when there were innocents at risk. The Echo leadership still seemed unconvinced that his luck was a genuine metahuman power. He dimpled the soft on-switch for his earpiece transmitter. Nothing but static. The radio silence bothered him more than the gunfire directed at him. Echo field technology never failed. It just didn't. Alex Tesla wasn't kidding around when he designed the stuff. He had a strong urge to get back to Shakti. Devil grabbed an office chair and heaved it out through the hole in the glass without aiming. He heard a thud and a yelp of pain. He tugged a laser printer from its moorings and did the same, again, a wet crack and a gurgling sound. Two for two. A robber leaned over the counter and shot Devil point-blank. The nano-weave suit hardened instantly, catching the bullet in its grip. Nevertheless, the impact threw Devil to the ground, reminding him that luck couldn't trump physics every time. That's gonna bruise, he said, ignoring the throbbing in his shoulder. His hands found a stapler, one of the pricey metal models. He whipped it at the man's face. Blood and tooth fragments burst from the ski masts. The man howled and collapsed. Handsome Devil stood and flexed his shoulder. He'd be sore for days, blowing his plans for a romantic weekend in bed. So much for good luck, he said. You got that right, bastard! The final robber had switched from thief to kidnapper. He had an old woman by the collar. The barrel of his pistol dug into her temple. That's a lousy idea, Devil said, crawling over the counter. Patrons backed away from him, but without guns trained on them, they'd become spectators instead. Tension filled the air. Says you, I'll kill her if you touch me, the robber said. The robber was a skinny man, and his knobby knees visibly shook. Here's how it works. I'm a metahuman. He brandished a scarlet hand. Echo and all that? Only I don't throw tanks or fly around or read minds. I'm just lucky. Very, very, very lucky. Watch. He glanced down at a cowering twelve-year-old boy. Hey, kid, got a smoke? Um, the kid looked at his mother. Yeah, but they're not mine. He fished out a pack of American eagles and handed them over. His mother barked his name. I was going to throw them away, honest. Sure you were. Thanks. Devil put a cigarette in his mouth. 
Find a lighter, too? Blushing, the boy handed him a lighter, emblazoned with the stars and stripes. God bless America, Handsome Devil said, lighting up. My preferred brand, too. See what I mean? Everything goes my way. So it really doesn't matter how big your gun is or how mean you feel. What you should ask yourself is... He couldn't resist roughening his voice up. Does Handsome Devil feel lucky today? Punk! The man's jaw dropped. The woman's face opened up in a rictus of horror. The patrons of the bank backed away from Handsome Devil and the front door chattering in alarm. Well, does he? Punk? Devil was quite pleased with the effect his dirty, hairy voice was having. An explosion ripped the facade of the bank wide open. Debris shot through the air like shrapnel. One chunk of concrete and torn rebar sailed over Devil's shoulder and struck the gunman in the face. His jerking body skittered across the tiled floor. Devil and the old woman ducked, facing each other. Nazis, she mouthed. What? She pointed, then scrambled away on all fours. Handsome Devil spun. The bright sky silhouetted five massive armored forms, dark but for the swastika emblems illuminated by the azure glow of the bazooka-sized energy rifles attached to their arms. I'll be damned, he said, dropping the lit cigarette. Who are these guys? The would-be underage smoker piped up. Should we run, mister? Oh, hell yes. He waved a hand back at the former hostages. Everyone scram! He edged sideways toward the destroyed ATM, where a wall stood between the entrance and the rest of the bank. The armored soldiers' guns tracked him, ignoring the fleeing civilians. Well, that's something, at least. He tapped on the echo transmitter once, twice, three times. Still static. You boys got a problem? I'm right here. Rubble crunched under his feet. His luck had gotten him through some rough situations, but in the back of his mind he knew there was a limit to what it was capable of. He stood. He hoped today wouldn't be the day he discovered it. The Nazi troopers advanced into the bank. Their rifles emitted a resonant, teeth-rattling hum as they powered up for another blast. The Nazis had a good two feet on Klaus, and they outnumbered him, and their energy rifles were capable of blowing a hole in a concrete wall. Still, America had kicked their butt in World War II, right? The patriotic sentiment, combined with an urge to get out of the disastrous confines of the bank lobby, suggested a plan. He charged them. Blue-white energy shot from their rifles and exploded at his feet, well away from the fleeing civilians. He felt the concussions excite the nanoweave to life, stiffening to absorb impact and slowing his movements. He spread his arms wide like a linebacker. This is going well, he noted, just before tackling the lead trooper. Handsome Devil hit the trooper with all his weight. He wrapped his arms around the trooper's waist in anticipation of a fall. It was like tackling a tree. The armored giant didn't budge. He didn't even seem to notice the impact. Klaus, on the other hand, tried to blink the stars out of his eyes. Schweinhund, he barked, like every Saturday afternoon war movie Klaus had ever watched as a child. A trooper seized his dangling legs and tugged. Klaus tightened his hold on his target's midsection in panic until he was parallel to the ground, stretched like a pig on a spit. He glimpsed the few remaining bank patrons, who had lingered in spite of the danger to see what would happen 
watching him being yanked around in astonishment. This is becoming comical, and I'm the butt of the joke. Okay, Klaus, stop screwing around. The troopers directed their rifles at his stomach, an easy target. He let go and fell on his face. As his hand scrabbled for purchase, one found the grip of a semi-automatic, the other hand found the shoe of the gunman he'd lobbed the chair at. He snatched up the gun and snapped off a succession of shots at the trooper holding his leg. The first bullet ricocheted off the reflective armor right back into Devil's stomach where the nanoweave went taut to catch it. The force of the bullets bent him in half, sending the rest of the shots wild. Toten sie hang! rasped a voice from inside the helmet of the trooper dangling him. Klaus spoke no German, but he knew a kill order when he heard it. Oh, hell. His luck had run out. The worst part about dying was that he'd never get to warn Shakti about these guys. Unless somebody came to the rescue right about now. The cavalry didn't arrive with a trumpet of fanfare. He saw the little non-smoking boy's mother cover her son's eyes. There was a pop and a blinding flash of light. Sparks and glass showered handsome devil and the Nazis. They snapped blast shields over their helmets. The trooper holding him was startled enough to loosen his grip. Klaus squirmed out of the way. It wasn't an Echo Mach 3 charging to his rescue with powers blazing. Rather, his missed shots had broken the mooring of the fluorescent lighting fixtures. They'd collapsed on him just in time. Good enough, he decided, trying to ignore the ache in his ribs. He rolled to his feet and limped out of the bank lobby, hoping the onlookers had sense to get lost too. He would make for his bike and lead these goons on a merry chase. He barely caught himself the lip of the precipice. The spiraling concrete ramp had been demolished by the troopers prior to their arrival. The twisted handlebars of his motorcycle poked out of a pile of rubble twenty feet below. Smoke from gasoline fire stung his eyes. The highway overpass across from the bank sagged in great broken slabs of concrete as though an earthquake had hit. Gunfire punctuated the shriek of Nazi energy beams, all to a backdrop of distant human screams and the dull explosion of ruptured gas tanks. Blue energy beams licked out from a throng of advancing armored soldiers. Above them, immense metal spheres floated on columns of orange light. Jesus, he breathed. It was like a battlefield from a documentary on the apocalypse. People streamed off the highway, carrying children or helping the wounded. A beam of energy splitting the air near his head raised his hackles. He bunched his legs underneath him and jumped. The stern countenance of Monsieur Song flickered through his mind as he windmilled his arms. When you jump, you should have already landed. Echo's French parkour instructor had barked without taking his cigarette from his mouth. A parkour thinks ten seconds ahead. The jagged piece of rebar jutting out from his landing spot suggested to Devil that he hadn't thought a second ahead, let alone ten. The metal beam waited to impale him. He flailed helplessly in midair, trying to twist his body. He heard a barked command, followed by a barrage of energy beams that knifed past him, converging on his prospective resting place. The combination of the beams resulted in a deafening explosion, disintegrating the metal spike. The shockwave threw him back, up into the air, and away from the bank, onto the off-ramp and the back seat of an abandoned Ford Mustang convertible. The aging seat springs groaned under the impact, 
but absorbed it enough that the nano-weave fabrics didn't bother to stiffen. The driver had been trapped in the traffic jam when the Nazi attack started. Devil bet it was painful to leave a 68 Mustang in the path of an advancing army. He'd always liked the muscular design of the legendary car line. With his income, there was no reason not to track one down for himself. Shakti would look fantastic next to him, roof down, wind blowing in her hair. Wind. It wasn't a natural wind. A dark shadow loomed over him, a Nazi war machine, hovering on a column of sinister orange energy that whipped the air around it into a frenzy. The spheroid vessel was as big as a house, with a wraparound window that revealed black-clad men lit by a sickly orange glow. Three massive tanks had been mounted to the underside. Metallic tentacles ended in grasping triple pinchers like a crab gone bad. The tentacles must have had some kind of video sensor installed because they locked on the devil as though they had spotted their next prey. Klaus scrambled out of the back seat as a tentacle hammered straight through the cushion and the chassis where he'd laid a second before. Another tentacle ripped off the flawless vintage windshield. The car lurched and rose into the air, lifted by the retracting tentacles. He dove out of the car, rolling on his shoulder to come to a crouch. Underneath the car, the pincher snapped open and closed. It had wedged between the axle and the body, and seemed to have no difficulty hefting the steel-framed sports car. A red light blinked at the nexus of the pinchers. He was on camera. The war machine hoisted the Mustang like a club. Oh, come on, Klaus groaned. He scrambled with hands and feet for purchase on the asphalt. The hood of the Mustang smashed into the road, catching the hoods of two empty sedans behind Klaus. The acrid odor of gasoline engulfed him like a pungent perfume. Luck or no, he knew he had to get away from the war machine and the massing troops of giants. Without regard for the collectability of the Ford, the vessel pounded it around Klaus like a child trying to crush a bug. Metal debris filled the air from the targets it did succeed in hitting, other cars. Klaus hoped no one was dumb enough to remain in them. Hounded by the war machine and against his better judgment, he clambered over the separator onto I-285 proper. The scene was far worse than he'd guessed. Frightened motorists had gunned their engines and rear-ended each other trying to escape the Nazi attack. The concussive blasts had cast their cars hither and thither, as though the child who had been trying to smash him earlier, was now throwing a temper tantrum with his toys. The screams chilled him to the core. Many originated from overturned or wrecked vehicles. It was the world's worst, most deadly pileup, and the Nazis were only getting started. And thanks to Atlanta's suffocating humidity, the heat rising from the asphalt made the nightmare feel like hell too. The teeth-grinding hum of the floating war machine caught his attention. The Mustang was directly overhead, about to drop. He opened the door of a car and slid into the seat. The Mustang tore off the car's door with a colossal clang. Mister? A teenage girl with braces and cornrows huddled in the back seat next to him. Blood seeped from a contusion across her forehead. His heart sank. The metal frame of the Mustang moaned as the war machine's tentacles found new leverage. It swung the demolished car against Devil's new hiding place. The girl yelped at the impact. Listen, kid, you have got to get out of here. 
The Mustang collided with them again, tilting the car onto the passenger side. Devil's legs dangled from the mangled door bay. The girl screamed, What do I do? Her voice broke into sobs. Devil thought fast. The next swing of the car club would crush them both. He turned and punched out the rear window with three fast strikes. Glass beads fell around them. When I tell you, you climb out there, okay? She nodded and grabbed the headrest as though she were rock climbing. Klaus levered himself out of the car and waved his hands. One more time, creeps. As the Mustang whipped at him, he lowered his head. Now, he urged the girl. Go, go! His timing was perfect for the girl to pull herself out of the car and break into a run. It was rotten for avoiding the massive club. It caught him at the end of its arc, knocking the wind out of his lungs despite the nano-weave protection. As resilient as he was, being beaten with a car wasn't going to be healthy for him. His hand found purchase on a windshield wiper, yanking the blade loose and ripping at his skin, yet supporting his weight and stopping his flight. The Nazi operator had quick reflexes too. The pincher retracted and pulled out of the car, letting the momentum of the arc carry car and unintended passenger up into the sky. Handsome Devil was very much on the wrong side of the sailing wreck. The tortured highway passed under his feet as though he were looking out of the window of a plane descending into a post-apocalyptic airport. He whipped through columns of acrid black smoke from demolished vehicles. Time stood still. Every tendril of smoke seemed to find his nostrils. The war machine had thrown the car with a tremendous amount of force, enough to carry it for a hundred yards over the besieged interstate. Devil felt helpless in the grip of raw physics. Why couldn't his powers have been flight? Or invulnerability? Or better yet, no power at all. He could have lived a normal life. Absurdly, he craved another cigarette before the Mustang pulped him on the highway. He'd reached the end of the arc. The ground grew at an alarming rate as time returned to normal. Aside from fleeing civilians and Nazi troopers, he saw no Echo heroes flying to his rescue. A chill gripped his heart. Bye, Shakti. Your devil's luck just dried up. He closed his eyes and wondered if death would hurt. The stench of hot Georgia asphalt and burning gas filled his nose as Handsome Devil and the ruined 1968 Ford Mustang plummeted towards the ground. Klaus let go of the windshield wiper and awaited his end. A fanged mouth clamped onto his shoulder. The echo suit bunched up under the teeth, but the impact of the body attached to the fangs knocked Klaus out from underneath the Mustang. The possessor of the enormous mouth shook him like a rag doll as it cushioned their landing ten feet from ground zero. The Mustang smashed into a semi with the force of an artillery shell. Both vehicles exploded, sending metal shards all over. Klaus, limp on the road between two stopped cars, covered his head as his rescuer stood over him on four legs, shielding him from the shrapnel, which bounced off his pelt as if hitting a wall. Four legs? He opened an eye and saw a thick, muscular, fawn-furred leg, an unquestionable proof that he'd been rescued by a boy dog. An echo tag hung from his collar. Comprehension dawned on him. Bowser! Klaus hugged the bull mastiff from below. Bowser spat dog drool all over Klaus's hair. Good boy, he said, 
climbing to his feet and brushing off dust. The bull mastiff was a full 180 pounds of loyal dog muscle, and he'd plucked Klaus out of the air like a frisbee. Of course, he wasn't an Echo mascot. Bowser was the biggest dog in Contrayer Zone's pack of super dogs. Zone took no codename, but he'd earned his wry nickname, the leader of the pack. No one knew how he established that bond that enhanced the dog's natural ability a hundredfold. No one knew how he established that bond that enhanced his dog's natural ability a hundredfold, though ribald inside jokes abounded about the serious-faced man. But his five dogs made up a powerful fighting force. Or today, a rescue team. Klaus saw Roscoe, the German shepherd, ripping a car door off its hinges to free a trapped family. He caught a glimpse of a terrified mother and a delighted five-year-old. He petted the bull mastiff's head. Where's your master, buddy? Bowser's ears perked up. He barked twice, a deep, throaty sound, and bolted in the direction Klaus had been thrown. Klaus limped after him as fast as he could. The movement gave all of his bruises a chance to flare up, particularly his right leg and rib cage. The Echo suit had prevented broken bones, but he was getting to a point where he wanted to curl up around a bottle of ibuprofen. His metahuman healing ability couldn't heal fast enough, in his opinion. Dodging between cars, he also had a chance to review the events of the last ten minutes. Had it only been that long? This stretch of I-285 was a total disaster. CNN must be crawling all over it with news crews, regardless of whether Echo could bring the situation under control. These Nazi troopers appeared from nowhere with armaments heavier than anything Devil had ever seen before. Mach 1, Mach 2, Mach 3, Echo used these classifications to rate metahumans' relative power, but the scale leaned towards combat capabilities. Devil had been rated as a Mach 1, as had Shakti. Contrayer Zone and his dogs carried a Mach 2 card, which gave Devil some small comfort. Hopefully Zone's squad of twos had joined him. To his right, Klaus heard a spat of gunfire, cursing, and the inhuman shriek of the Nazi cannons. An SUV rocked on its wheels, glass imploding from the hit. Three black men in blatant gangbanger attire ducked and covered their heads. One frantically reloaded his Glock. Suckers better learn they can't play like that in our city. His wild eyes belied his bravado. His friend tugged his red bandana out of his eyes and peeked over the hood. He sank back with a look of fear. They ain't hurt at all, he said. Klaus slowed down. He was no fan of the Atlanta gangs, who ranged from blustering wannabes to ruthless killers, but he couldn't leave these guys to be butchered. Crouching to stay out of sight of the troopers, he edged towards them. The gangster gasped and leveled his glock at Devil. Who the hell are you? He's Echo, man, the third gang member, a heavy man and a wife-beater, said in an oddly high voice. Handsome Devil, fellas. I don't think your pea-shooters are going to dent these guys' armor. Who the hell are they? Didn't you see the insignia? Devil feigned a zig heil. Nazis, man. The troopers had advanced on the SUV. A voice issued from a helmet speaker. Wurzel Schwarzhund. The gang members looked at each other. What did that mean? Devil chanced to look through the broken window. Something about kill the blacks? I think they mean you. Man, that's messed up. Jesus, guys, they're Nazis. What did you expect? Devil said. Criminals or not, these guys were civilians in a war. Listen, you can't touch these guys. 
you want to chip in, fine. There are hundreds of folks trapped in these cars. My guys could use some help freeing them. What about them? The red bandana nodded past the car. I'll draw their fire. You guys split. Unarmed? Nope. He took a pistol from each of the two closest. Follow that dog. Git. You crazy, bro, the man said, but he chucked a devil on the shoulder before the three dashed away from the SUV. Devil leapt up, fist full of the guns. Say hello to my little friends, he bellowed and opened fire. The pair of troopers made no attempt to evade the gunfire. It was no more effective than raindrops against their armor. In ten seconds, he'd reached the end of the clips. His final shot struck one of the troopers in the middle of his swastika. Glowing neon green liquid exploded across the incendiary symbol. The trooper wiped the goop off his armor, obviously confused. What the hell? They bleed green paint? Klaus inspected the empty gun, which smoked as any ordinary pistol would. His footing became unsteady. The asphalt and cars seemed to slide away from him. Was he passing out? Get him, little brother, called a deep voice behind him. A vast shape moved past him with a curious sound of heavy footprints and bending metal. The shape was vaguely human, but fifteen feet tall and composed of the materials around them. Gravel, tar, metal, fiberglass, and plastic. The highway itself was drawn into the giant's form, right from under Devil's feet. The troopers swung their arm cannons about and opened fire. Debris exploded from where their beams struck the giant, but its awkward advance continued. For a moment, it stumbled over the SUV of the gangbangers, as if feeling its way through a dark room. Motu! A little to your left! Klaus recognized the voice. Siestas Va, also known as Matei, smaller of the Samoan Va brothers. Smaller was a relative term. Cestus weighed no less than 300 pounds, all muscle. He wore enough nano-weave in his Echo uniform to outfit three normal men. His Echo handgun hung from his belt. Instead, he carried a custom-made paintball gun stocked with pellets of various colors. Matei, some called him by the English translation, Chief, took aim at the second trooper. Klaus had met the brothers when they first joined Echo after dissolving their piano-moving business. He couldn't recall what Matei's metahuman talent was that he warranted a Mach 2 badge in a place in leader of the pack squad. Surely it wasn't superior paintball skills. Motu, the giant wearing the contents of I-285 as armor, lurched towards the green-splattered trooper. A hand covered in rocks, car parts, and a tire iron wrapped around the trooper's chest and hoisted him aloft. In a dizzying imitation of the war machine and the Mustang, Motu upended the Nazi and pounded his head into the pavement while the other troopers shot chunks off his immense form. The holes filled with fresh material at once, including the roof of the SUV. Motu's powers had turned the asphalt around him into a strange, semi-liquid state, which swallowed the trooper's head and shoulders like a tar pit. An orange pellet exploded on the second trooper. Motu locked on him and swatted him into the side of a van with a clumsy strike. The trooper staggered to his feet, only to discover Motu towering over him. His armor rang like a bell from the beating. Handsome Devil, breathing heavily, watched Motu batter the trooper. In seconds, the giant had incapacitated two Nazis, while Devil had only succeeded in running from a handful. The Mach 2's immense power humbled him. He's better when the target isn't jumping around, 
Matei said at his side. He loaded new pellets into his gun and grinned at Klaus. That shell obscures his vision something fierce, so I help him find his targets. Say you don't look so good. It's the red skin, Klaus said automatically. And the blood seeping out of your face. Listen, these jokers are too much for Mark 1s to handle. Red devil, right? Handsome devil. Sorry. He shook Klaus's hand. Matei, my brother there is Motu. We've got this chunk of 285 under control. These pukos don't know how to handle a walking mountain. Why don't you help Zone's dogs clear out the wounded? I had six more in a floating metal ball on my tail. He pointed at the war machine in the distance. You planning to paintball them too? Tired, his voice took on a strident tone. Matei's cocksure manner rankled him. We'll do what we have to. We're not exactly alone. Matei pointed at a wide-shouldered figure advancing on a contingent of troopers. Warzone raised a hand. Nanomaterial swirled around it to form a futuristic Gatling gun. It spun to life with a shriek and strafed the troopers with flechettes. Several beams found him, exploding across his armored form like water spouts. The transforming metahuman was a Mach 3, one of the most powerful humans on Earth, a walking tank battalion. Any weapon he could imagine, his nanocloud could create. Whoa. Devil blinked as Nazi troopers staggered under Warzone's barrage. Yeah, with Warzone, we can start to take back the perimeter. Perimeter? You mean 285? Atlantans called the interchange the perimeter because it ringed the city proper, although most of the population lived outside it. Matei nodded grimly. Nazis and their flying balls dropping up all around 285 like they're trying to hem the city in. He tilted his head. Hey, did you hear something? A groan issued from an overturned limo nearby. I guess I'd better switch to rescue duty, Klaus admitted. Matei watched the battle, ready to direct Motu to join in while Devil approached the limo. The driver's torso extended from the windshield. His lifeless eyes told Devil it was too late to help the man. The groan, a female groan, came from the back seat. Rich folks never wear a seatbelt, he muttered as he struggled to get the door open. The crash had bent the lock, so he braced one foot against the chassis and pulled. Metal protested, then broke. The woman inside the limo was immediately familiar, as if he'd met her before, yet he'd surely have remembered this woman. Her golden blonde hair framed a classically beautiful face with a hint of mischief, marred only by a nasty bruise across her forehead. Devil checked her limbs quickly for broken bones and found none, which was a relief because he had been admiring her sleek skin in perfect shape. This woman was a knockout. Her eyes fluttered open. Oh my god, she gasped. Am I in hell? Handsome Devil winked at her. Still in Atlanta, I'm afraid, though the distinction is becoming blurry. He tapped his badge. Echo, Mach 1, Handsome Devil, at your service, miss. We have to get you to safety. The woman smiled at him then, a smile that could break a million hearts. And had, in fact. She was Scarlet Ryder, the movie star, doubtless in town for a celebrity mixer. Thank you, she said, her voice faltering. An explosion sounded in the distance, Warzone giving the Nazis his own version of hell, and Devil flinched. Thank me when you're out of danger, lady. Can you walk? I feel woozy. The men of America will envy me, he thought. He reached under her legs and scooped her up. Hold on tight. Scarlet wrapped her arms around his neck as if on a movie set.
They looked at each other for a moment, both with embarrassed grins, as if they realized the absurdity of the Hollywood rescue in a genuine emergency. Her eyes twinkled at him. Devil's heart flipped over. Did you really come from hell? No, ma'am. Cleveland. He boosted her out of the car. Matei did a double take. She's okay, Devil said in an authoritative voice. Just a bruise. Good job, Matei said sarcastically. I can walk, I think, Scarlet said. Let me get you to the grass, get you far away from the highway as possible. He weaved between the stopped cars, more cognizant of her slender form and heaving bosom than he should have been, given the proximity of Nazi troopers, explosions, and death. Klaus deposited her on the shoulder of the road. A grassy hill sloped down to an underpass. Take that road in town and don't stop for anything, okay? She nodded. My driver's dead, isn't he? I'm sorry, yes. Tears appeared in her eyes. God damn it, this is too weird. Without thinking, he laid a hand on her shoulder. In the distance, Motu was charging towards Warzone and the Nazis. I gotta go back and help. You take care, okay, Miss Scarlet? The actress sniffed. Miss Scarlet, ha, sounds funny coming from a devil. She gave him a quick hug. Thanks for saving me, Mr. Devil. He patted her back awkwardly. Her lips found his ear. I'm at the Ritz, room 1618. Her tongue darted around his earlobe for a moment before she let go. She gave him a final smile and waved, then stumbled down the hill. Well, I'll be damned. He watched her retreating, swaying form. His eyes had already undressed her. He returned to Matei. She'll be fine. I saw that, Matei said, eyebrows lifted. Did she really lick your ear? What can I say? I have good luck with the ladies. I'll say. If you get through this alive, you might wind up with a celebrity girlfriend. Matei sighed an odd exhalation from such a big man. Her last movie was terrible, but that bikini... Scarlet's inviting smile danced behind his eyes. She was a stunningly beautiful woman, that was certain, and Klaus noticed a strong chemistry between them. Room 1618, huh? A chill came over him. Oh, no. What's wrong? You said girlfriend. So? I have a girlfriend. Matei gave him a quizzical look. I think there are more important things to worry about right now than your love life. Klaus ran into the middle of the highway to look at the battle between Warzone and the Nazi squad. Motu still lumbered towards the metahuman. In the distance, three more war machines hovered over the highway. He searched frantically for signs of a small, dark form. You don't understand. My luck makes sure things come out in my favor. Matei caught up with him as he broke into a run towards the battle. Meeting a celebrity who falls for you is incredible luck, Klaus shouted over his shoulder. Of course it is! But I have a girlfriend already, Shakti! With the four arms? Yeah, so if Scarlet Ryder wants to hook up with me, it means my luck is ameliorating a bad situation. Smoke made his eyes water as he sprinted faster and faster. Matei's eyes widened. You mean, Shakti's going to die? Uh... I thought you meant she was going to dump you. Matei? Devil yelled over the din. Nothing that simple ever happens to me. The war machine that had pursued Klaus hovered over Warzone. His arms were now railguns, 
sending projectiles into the hull of the ship. One shattered the window. All at once, nozzles opened on the tanks attached to the underside. Blinding light in liquid form poured out on Warzone. A wave of heat rolled over Klaus and Matei. Warzone died screaming in a bath of burning thermite. Oh man, Klaus said. God, no. Matei charged forward, waving his arms. Motu, fall back! The giant stopped in his track, swaying, backlit by the oncoming thermite spray. He tilted his head like an old man. He can't hear you. Beyond the confused Samoan behemoth, the war machines commenced their own thermite bombing. Blue beams licked forth out of the flames from ground troops. In a horrendous moment, Klaus saw the trooper's target, a fast-moving black shape, bounding over wrecks and firing four echo firearms from four arms. Shakti twisted in midair to avoid a splash of thermite. Her bullets glanced harmlessly off the trooper's armor. She must have heard the explosions from their apartment and deduced where he had gone. As much as he loved her, she was the most obstinate, strong-willed woman he'd ever met. His luck protected him from danger, but all Shakti had was reflexes, training, and sheer determination. From what he'd seen of the Nazi soldiers, it wouldn't be enough. Shakti landed in the bed of a pickup and leapt again to avoid a blast of blue-white energy. She was a master of parkour, and it served her now in good stead. All four arms holstered her pistols and reached out to balance her as she leapt from hood to hood. If she saw Klaus, she didn't have time to acknowledge him. She won't make it, Matei panted. That war machine has her number. Not for long, Klaus said. Can your brother toss me into that thing? Matei shook his head. I told you, he can barely see with all that concrete around him. Leave that to me, Klaus said. My luck will see me through. I thought you said your luck was going to let her die. I did say that, Klaus realized. The hell with that! He ran forward to pound on Motu's leg. Hey, Motu! I need a lift! He pointed at the war machine. Make like you're at the carnival! What? Motu's voice was muffled to the point of inaudibility. Hear you? Damn it, Klaus said. The heat of the thermite brought out a sweat on him. Throw me into the cockpit, then run! He pointed at the war machine, looming into their vision. Throw you? Klaus ripped off his communit and threw it at the war machine. Thankfully, Motu's head followed the movement. He picked Klaus up by the waist and hefted him. Good luck, my friend. With disheartening slowness, Motu heaved Klaus at the war machine's broken cockpit window. His enormous strength was undone by his clumsiness. Klaus reached the peak of his arc yards ahead of the hull. He fell towards the falling thermite, so bright it dazzled him. The heat scalded his flesh. Thermite burned everything, metal, stone, flesh. Water couldn't douse it. The nano-weave might resist it, but his body wouldn't. He'd cook in his suit. I told a nearsighted giant to throw me into a small hole directly above a thermite holocaust. The stupidity of his idea struck him far too late. Shakti skirted the edge of the thermite, shielding her face from the glare, but she locked eyes with him for a brief moment. The horror on her face took a back seat to the utter disbelief at his macho antics. Next time she'll date an accountant. A snake-like shape flapped before him, silhouetted by the thermite. One of the war machine's tentacles had strayed close to him. 
Klaus stretched his arms and seized the segmented metal. It had absorbed the heat of the thermite, searing his palms, yet he held firm. The tentacles yanked back up, away from the fire, pulling him out of the freefall and over the war machine. His nerves couldn't take the pain anymore. He released the tentacles and fell heavily on the roof of the war machine. He cradled his burned hands, eyes tearing from the pain. From his vantage point, four other war machines were in view, spurting thermite in indiscriminate burst. Two machines supported a multifaceted glowing apparatus between them on steel wires. Its purpose was unclear. The soldiers massed behind the machines, firing at unseen targets, but holding their position while the war machines burned everything in sight. The perimeter would indeed become a ring of fire. Rage welled up in his heart. Until now, the attack had seemed surreal, a pulp novel come to life. Nazis in the 21st century? Floating war machines? Most of the perpetrators he had faced as an operative of Echo had some grounding in reality. Thieves, murderers, even madmen awash in their own delusions. But Nazis simply made no sense at all. Far worse, then, that the body count they exacted must have been in the hundreds. How many unconscious motorists had been incinerated by the thermite? Zone and his dogs couldn't evacuate everyone in time. Klaus was a self-centered man. He knew it, shocked he knew it, and accepted it. He loved the glory, and the money, from working for Echo, the foremost meta-human law enforcement contractor in the world. He reveled in the newspaper interviews, the TV appearances, the blogs that gossiped about his Echo exploits. He had red skin, for Christ's sake. He couldn't exactly hide from the public. But as he struggled to maintain his balance on the roof of the spheroid vessel, a deeper sense of purpose took hold. These men had attacked his country. They'd butchered innocent civilians for no good reason. Not that mass murder could ever be rationalized. He and his fellow Echo operatives were obligated to protect those who couldn't protect themselves. Not only that, they had to protect those who would stand up and fight, like the gangbangers he'd rescued. Despite their shady activities, they were still part of his society, and the Nazi troopers were a threat to them all. Besides, they tried to kill his girlfriend. Klaus got to his feet. The movement of the war machine gave him the feeling that he was surfing for a moment. He backed towards the front of the craft, feeling the slope increasing precariously under his feet, until he slipped and fell forward. A moment of primal fear, then his feet hit the control panel of the cockpit, exposed by Warzone's dying volley and the spherical shape of the vessel. He flailed his arms for balance. Before him were six Nazi pilots, lacking armor of any sort. In the orange light of the craft's interior, they looked demonic. Handsome Devil grinned at them to show them what demonic looked like. Gutentag, you bastards, he snarled. The Nazi pilots had inserted their hands into black fabric sleeves projecting from the consoles. Two faced forward, presumably to pilot the war machine. Three more looked up from their monitors, on which images of the devastated highway veered across the screens at dizzying speeds. The last must have been the captain of the ship, his face screwed up with hatred. Physically, the men were unremarkable. More importantly, they were less than eight feet tall. Not that it would have mattered to Devil at this point. He was shot full of adrenaline and outrage. Devil let the forward momentum of the ship draw him into the cabin. He seized a pilot by the neck and smashed his fist into the man's face. The pilot teetered back in his chair, restrained by his gloves. 
devil felt a surge of joy that he could actually hurt these men now, instead of running like a coward. The impact of his second punch to the man's throat was as gratifying as a kiss. The captain brandished a pistol at Devil and shouted in a language he couldn't understand or recognize. It wasn't German. Devil laughed at the man, turned, kicked the second pilot in the temple, knocking him clear out of his seat. The ship lurched, making the captain stumble and his shot go wide. Devil tackled the captain. The first thing he noticed was the smell. The captain reeked of a curious scent, like vinegar and mint and rotting garbage. Nazi cologne? The absurdity of it only made Devil matter. He grappled with the man as the floor rocked back and forth. The captain was at least as strong as Handsome Devil, which should have been impossible for a normal human. Up close, the captain's features appeared less and less Germanic. The cheeks were too severe, the eyes too far apart, the pupils too small. Devil kneed him in the groin and the captain hissed at him like a snake. His bared teeth were fangs, sharp enough to rip flesh. Repulsed, Devil caught his forehead in a burned palm and slammed the back of the captain's head into the deck. The eerie eyes rolled up in the back of his head. Devil kept beating his head against the metal until he felt the man's skull soften. The sensation sickened him, and he rose over the captain's limp form. The remaining three Nazis had disengaged from their monitors, where they had been controlling the tentacles, and surrounded him. In their hands, they held odd, sleek pistols, as if from a science fiction magazine from the 50s, but without any sense of kitsch. Devil waved them forward. Try it, please. Before they could shoot, he jumped at the nearest Nazi, grabbing the man's gun arm. The pilot squeezed the trigger, only to discover that Klaus had somehow managed to redirect his gun at his comrade's face. Klaus punched him in the stomach before he could contemplate his fellow's unexpected death. Klaus lifted the dazed Nazi in his arms and threw him into the remaining pilot. Both men collapsed in a heap and remained still. Wasting no time, Klaus rushed to the console. He had no idea which set of control gloves were necessary to pilot the craft. He chose one, slipping his aching hands inside, and grasped two strangely shaped control yokes. I hope this thing flies like an airplane. Closing his eyes, he tugged the controls back towards him. The ship immediately nosedived towards the ground. Hollering, Klaus pushed the sticks forward, the opposite direction. At once, the ship reversed, as though it had built up no forward momentum at all. The engine thrummed with patient energy. By pushing the sticks forward and down into the console, he backed the ship away from his comrades. The fire, started by the burst of thermite, apparently controlled by one of the three he just incapacitated, passed underneath him, as did the tiny form of Shakti. When the angle was such that she could see him, he disengaged a hand and waved at her. The war machine bucked under his controls, but built up momentum as he forced the controls into the console as far as they'd go. He remembered the war machines and their odd cargo. Each of the vessels carried a thermite tank similar to his own. A collision would result in a deadly explosion. One he couldn't survive. Well, this stinks, he thought. Heroics are fun, but I'm not anxious to die so soon. So how can I get out of this? The mesh of the control gloves did not seem to be interlaced with electronics of any sort. He let go of the control yokes long enough to tear the gloves off the console and discard them. Exposed, the yokes resembled twisted Christmas decorations more than a mechanism for flying an aircraft. Multicolored lights peeked out of a gnarled shaft, 
pulsing to an unidentifiable beat. Klaus hauled the captain's body forward. Thin blood seeped out of his head, less viscous than the usual hemoglobin he'd seen. No time to consider the implications. The war machine was accelerating towards the cluster of its fellows. He deposited the captain's body on top of the yokes and pressed it into position, so that it depressed the yoke just as he'd done manually. In a moment of inspiration, he ran to one of the monitors for the tentacles. The metal limb whipped back and forth frantically, but he seized its controllers and directed it behind the vessel. Two of the war machines had split from the group in order to evade him, but the two carrying the device between them remained in place. Blue beams shot past the camera. The craft shook with the impact of better-aimed blast, but the armor of the hull resisted those that struck. It's like billiards. He backed away from the monitor, visualizing the war machines as though he were shooting pool at his favorite bar. He reached behind him, still facing the rear of the cabin, gripped the captain's uniform, and nudged him to the right. The ship lurched in response to the adjustment. Cannon fire thrummed against the hull in a steady beat, a sure sign he was nearing his mark. He mounted the console. Wind rustled his hair as he steadied himself on shards left of the window. Or maybe like bowling. It doesn't matter. If he wanted to ensure a direct hit at the proper angle, he used the tentacle monitor to guide the craft right up until collision and sacrifice himself in the bargain. However, there were advantages to being a lucky devil. With a glance at the ground to make sure he wasn't about to toss himself into a pool of fire, he threw himself out of the war machine. He balled up, hoping the nano-weave would absorb enough of the force of impact that he'd avoid broken bones. While he was falling, the war machine crashed into the foremost of its targets. The thermite tanks ruptured and ignited in a white-hot fireball. Liquid fire burst over the Nazi troopers and the two war machines, which veered backwards on their anti-gravity cushions to collide with the remaining two war machines in their cargo. His momentum carried him over a jackknifed, overturned trailer truck. An SUV had been shoved into the rear of the trailer, making the sheet metal sides into a slide. Devil hit the tail end of the trailer and rolled down the makeshift ramp to the semi, where Shakti had been watching his descent with horror. He barreled into her with a flurry of arms and legs, and they fell into the cab, banging against the steering wheel. The fireball caused by the exploding war machines and their deadly hot cargo washed over the cab. Flames engulfed the exterior of the cab, but the jackknife trailer caught the fury of the firestorm. The air inside the cab seemed to lose all oxygen to the heat, and they gasped in superheated air. But the waves of heat dissipated quickly, leaving them alive, though with the feeling they'd been roasted in an oven. Had they remained outside, the heat wave would have melted their skin. Klaus, Shakti said, her voice roughened by the hot air. What were you doing? Saving you from Scarlet Rider, he said, grinning. He brushed his hair back, causing a halo of ash to flitter to the seat. My luck's holding out. Scarlet what? Her face bunched up in consternation. To Handsome Devil, it was the most beautiful sight he'd seen all day. Forget her, baby, he said, leaning in for a kiss. Handsome Devil and Shakti were grouped with the Mach 2 squad. Warzone, the Mach 3, had been incinerated. One of Zone's dogs sniffed at the puddle of nanites and bone that had been the gruff, proud soldier. Zone himself was on the verge of tears. 
He'd lost a dog from his pack, a boxer in the fighting. His dogs lay on the ground, panting. His dogs lay on the ground, panting, heads hanging down in grief. Matei and Motu were unharmed, though Motu, having sloughed off his armored skin, looked exhausted. He outweighed his brother by fifty pounds. Klaus wondered what it was about Samoa that produced such giants. With the immediate threat from the Nazis gone, civilians began to filter back onto the highway. Some returned to their cars, though the majority stood in a crowd apart from the Echo heroes, watching them with the intensity of frightened children. From further north on the interstate, a collection of Echo heroes arrived. The troopers had lost power to their rifles for some mysterious reason. The war machines had employed some kind of magnetic force to scoop up the troopers like ants and fly off. The hulking, deaf, silent knight, his shockwave-generating armor pitted from Nazi beams, supported Junkyard Dog, who looked worse than Klaus had ever seen for a meta who purported to be invulnerable. Einhorn, immaculate in her white gown and dainty unicorn horn, moved for the crowd of onlookers, using her healing ability to mend torn flesh and broken bones. She radiated an air of calm and serenity, even in the aftermath of the carnage. Mercury landed amongst them, completing a stride that spanned a mile. He adjusted his winged helmet over his blonde curls, as shirtless as a classical statue of the messenger god. Radios are still dead, he announced. Mr. Tesla wants your reports now. He gave Matei a pointed look. Lost a dog, Matei said without a hint of irony. Lost Warzone, who isn't one of mine. Civilian casualties are anyone's guess. He glanced at his brother. Motu and I took out seven Nazis. That's it for our squad. We stuck to rescue, mostly. Good. Knight, your team? He waved a hand at the deaf metahuman, whose armor incorporated an audio processor that could parse words from proximate speakers. Five opponents terminated. The computer voice was close enough to a human inflection to sound spooky. Mach 2 operatives Red Dove killed in action. Mach 3 operative Lightspeed killed in action. The hunch of his shoulders conveyed the grief his speaker grill could not. Mercury nodded, brow furrowing as he absorbed the information. Thank you. And you, Mach 1, something devil? Klaus sighed. Yes, handsome devil. He was starting to regret his waggish nom de guerre. Well, I'm not sure if Shakti here had any kills. He put an arm around her as she shook her head. Okay. I guess I have, um, 60 or 70 kills, plus five war machines. The heroes stared at him. You're kidding, Mercury said, mouth gaping. How? Handsome Devil winked and pulled Shakti close to him. I'm a very lucky man, he said. Wait is over. The first book of Steve Livy's Aquapura trilogy is available now from Subatomic Books. Meet Crixisoran, a plumber on an epic odyssey of redemption through an ancient world. Want to try before you buy? Listen to the free audiobook or download the free ebook or subscribe to a chapter a day through your email. <laughs>
Log on to www.aquapuratrilogy.com for more information. Echo is hiring. Log on to www.echometahumans.com and join the Echo Mock Street team. Your mission? Spread the word about the Secret World Chronicle.